Welcome to the BNP Rome Podcast, Season 2. Once again, this is your host, Brian, and as always, thanks for joining me. Welcome to Episode 6, B is for Bereavement. Okay, despite the title, I'm kind of laughing right now for two reasons. First, the theme music of this podcast is so darn chirpy and just doesn't express the mood of this episode. But hey, I've always been a both-hand person, and I find that one of the reasons I can be upbeat is because I am able to feel into the darkness as well. Second, I'm already breaking the rule I said I'd fall in a podcast I put out, um, (laughs) yesterday? Yes, I don't want to overwhelm you listeners with episodes, and the plan is for this to be usually a a once-a-week episode, but hey, aren't rules sometimes meant to be broken? see, it's been a very heavy day, yet a day where I felt very clear in being able to talk about all that was on my heart and in my mind, and so I wanted to share this episode as soon as possible. Today's main topic is grief. While it is a more emotional topic than some I've covered, I also think if you stick to the end, you'll find there's a light at the end of the tunnel. To tease that a bit, I'm finding that as I try to understand this period of massive transition, I keep coming back to my conclusion that the response to our challenges is to become more human. And this means, as hard as it can be, to feel more deeply and to love more openly. And my hope is, based on seeing signs that we are doing this more, even in these new forms of communication on the internet, in spaces where such heart-based communications can be hard, that we are actually doing this. Now, to look at all this, I share about some of my experiences of grieving over the past year, both in terms of grieving things in my life and in terms of dealing with some of the collective grief of the human story. That's all for the intro to this topic. While the main 32-minute chat is finished, sorry, when the main 32-minute chat is finished, you'll hear me read an impromptu poem I wrote today. I'll let it speak for itself. Last, Much as I enjoy these solo casts and will continue them, I'm also pondering inviting some people on for some dialogues. Let me know if you'd be interested and why you think you'd make a good guest. I have this idea of making a podcast that is as much a community of just so-called regular folks talking as it is me finding experts to interview from time to time. In addition, I'm thinking of changing the podcast name and cover art. We'll see. Point is, this is an evolving podcast, and while I come up with some rules, it's still a communication tool I'm experimenting with. I appreciate your patience as I figure this out. Okay, thanks again for listening, and as I say in the podcast, please look at the show notes if you want to find out ways to connect with me. Enjoy the show. Yang Speaks. That's the podcast that came up next on my feed. And it speaks to the topic I want to chat about, which is speaking, listening, communicating, relating. And my thought when I saw that was, Yang Speaks. Are we speaking too much and not listening enough? And then I thought, well... If you're going to have a podcast, 
you're going to speak, right? For example, if I just sat here and listened, <laughs> you'd turn it off pretty quick. It would be deadly silent, especially considering these are monologues. Not much of a monologue if you're just sitting there quietly, is it? <laughs> but I just got out of the uh, this week's one of the sessions in Rebel Wisdom, and uh, it was interesting, and it has been interesting, about the conversation that's emerging there and its connection to this how we relate to each other. And the heart, being in the heart, coming from the heart. There was a lot of grief today that was expressed. And I'm not going to go into the details, gory or otherwise. (laughs) Um, But there was a lot of people speaking to experiences they're having relating to loss. Some of it pandemic related some not some of it related to the loss we're having in our relationships due to differences in sense making and ideologies and beliefs that we share or don't share anymore and uh well i've this has been one of the kind of themes that I've been feeling into over the past year, and I would say at first kind of entered into my awareness last summer after the George Floyd murder, you know, even that saying that murder, like, all right, I'll just call it a murder, I'm just going to own it, but you know, the death of George Floyd, you know, no matter how you say it, you're going to trigger a narrative in someone. Oh, you believe he was murdered? Well, you know, the policeman was just doing his job and this and that. Um, Oh, you're just calling it a death, but it was worse than that. The guy murdered him, you know, so. um, So right there, even that, like even having these conversations, even bringing up a topic that's so emotional and so um, polarizing, all of a sudden people move out of their heart and into their head and their reaction. And that's why a lot of us are talking, and I think a lot of us are feeling this drive to be more embodied, to more get into your your body, using breathing. Um, on these rebelism after hours, they often start with, okay, everybody, take a deep breath in, you know? Take another if you need it. That felt good. I am going to take another... I'm going to do one more. <laughs> but I'm laughing because I remember last year I did my uh, podcast about the Wim Hof technique. And I wanted to demonstrate it. And I did 30 breaths and one of my friends reflected to me. He's like, well, that didn't make for great podcast listening. So I'll stop at three this time. But breathing in and filling your body with oxygen and becoming within your body and embodied. Embodied. You are in a body, embodied, um, empathic. M M is a, a prefix for being within, being in a included, being connected. Um, so 
And then there's what I do after these Rebel Wisdom Talks, which I've mentioned before in these podcasts, is I go out and I take a walk like I'm doing right now, and I get my feet. I'm going to do this right now. I'm going to take my shoes off and put my feet on the ground. And I get grounded not only to myself, but to the to the earth, into the air. I breathe in the air, and I'm grounded to the earth. And I'm feeling the fire of the sun. And I'm drinking my smoothie, which has water in it. So, you know, I'm connecting to all the elements. And this is an important aspect of being human. And yet when we are in these, uh, what seems to be an information, I was calling it an information ocean, but it can feel like a battlefield. (laughs) It's very head-based. And we forget that we're talking to someone out there who's a fellow human being when we're on social media and we're posting I mean, like, I like, I have enjoyed Facebook over the years, and one of the things I like about it better than Twitter is I'm a writer, and I can write up to 8,000 characters. I found that out yesterday. <laughs> Once you go past 8,000 characters, it tells you it's too long, so you got to cut it up, but it's a lot more than 248 or whatever Twitter is now. Um, and so I like that, but the thing is, is, like, you start right, you start talking Brian speaks, Brian writes, you know, and I'm not really, it's easy to be disconnected from the other person that you're talking to, because for one, you don't see them, and two, with Facebook and Twitter, you might be communicating directly to one person, like you might be in your in your response, you're responding to this one person, this conversation, but it's open for others to see and read too, and then all of a sudden they come in, and then they bring their thing, and so it turns into this kind of... Well, it can be a fucking mess. <laughs> you know, let's just put it... You know, I'm kind of talking about the downside here, so... It can also be a beautiful thing, so... Um, but... The... When we're not conscious of the fact that we are communicating with other human beings, when we use social media, when we're only in our head and speaking and writing from that perspective, we're going to... We're going to hurt some feelings. We're going to step on some uh, some feet on the dance floor. I'm trying to think of it. Yeah. <laughs> Lost that metaphor there. But yeah, we're going to, you know, we're going to trample on each other. And then we're going to feel victimized. And then that's going to make, you know, bring up other pain and other things. And so getting back to grief, it's interesting because last summer, like I said, um, I felt into the grief of the collective and also some of my personal experience, like my own sharing that I did on my Facebook was one day I was biking home from, uh, I think it was just a bike ride. I don't think I played park golf that day, but it was in that from that direction. And uh, I was listening to uh, some music and the song Losing My Religion came on by R.E.M., which came out, like I associated it with the year 1991, I think it came out then. Anyway, 91, early 90s. And all of a sudden it made me kind of flash back to that time of my life. And then I remembered that, you know, my freshman year, May of April 30th, 1992, was when the Los Angeles riots as a reaction to the Rodney King verdict happened. And I just got to thinking that here we are, or here we were in 2020, 29 years later, and we're still dealing with this, you know, the 
police presence in the minority communities and all that grief, that historical grief in America of, you know, the oppression of African-Americans or black people, however you want to phrase it, um, slavery, all that, you know, like, and it was coming up in me, like I was feeling, but I was feeling first just that, you know, just in my own lifetime, just on a narrower timeline, I was feeling like, what progress have we made? You know, I, I've, I used to, I have written about this for um, some of my journalism about the rise of the prison industrial complex, private prisons, and, you know, how it was connected to the war on drugs and how it disproportionately affected, you know, communities of color, the ghettos, and, uh, you know, also just, it's, it's more than that. It's poor people. Um, but how it's connected to the history in America and in the world of white treatment of blacks and people of color, you know? And I just felt this kind of great sorrow, like, you know, here, and, and this feeling into, like, I, I, I've been in Japan all these years, and, but even when I was in America, I didn't have to, like, when I went out shopping, I never had to, you know, I didn't really have that experience that people of color, and especially black people, especially black men have, of worrying if I get stopped by the police, this could threaten my life. I never had to worry about that. I never had to worry, or don't have to worry when my son goes out that, like, he might get, you know, he might be playing with his friends in the park, and they're playing with sticks, and a cop thinks it's a gun, and then, you know, guns him down, you know? Like, I never had, and so I was just feeling into that, like, in my lifetime, like, has this gotten worse? And, like, it doesn't seem like it's gotten better and you know just the grief of that like you know and also the some guilt some white guilt like you know the privilege the, the guilt of privilege I guess you could say um and so I kind of broke down on this bike ride on the way home and I wrote this post on Facebook and shared it and it, it turned into a good conversation and then I went into deeper into the grief which I just hinted at now which you know the the grief of the American history the American story and like we I didn't even bring up yet, but the indigenous, the people that lived on what many called Turtle Island, um, and all the tribes, you know, and the people that were there before, and what happened to their cultures, and, you know, back in the 90s, and I've reflected on this at that time too, like, it, this brought up a lot of my experience of the 90s and how I entered into or how I used and became a drug addict to kind of soothe my my grief, basically, like to put a a a a, a guy a gauze. How do you spell that? How do you say that word? G a u z e. <laughs> Sometimes I've been in Japan too long. I forget how to pronounce things, but I can spell them. G a u z e. A gaze. A, a gauze. I think a gauze. How I put a gauze over this this wound, this deep wound of you know the collective grief, and how I felt this you know the privilege that I had and yet felt powerless to change it, you know, like, I would speak to people, and, oh, don't worry about that, you don't need to worry, you know, and, like, just be happy you're not one of them, you know, like, that kind of stuff, and that would just make me grieve even more, and so, you know, the idea that I, you know, Gaber Mate talks about people who become addicts are, like, they're, they're actually trying to survive, you know, they're finding something that, it's a medicine, it's a medicine for how can I deal with the pain, you know, of life, and all these issues, and so, you know, I was feeling into that really hard last summer, and this was when I was, this is the last period 
where I was going through the the bipolar. Um, it was, you know, in last June, it was like this crescendo of it. And man, like that deep grief. And no, the thing that's I'm really happy about is that I felt into that and I had the space to feel into that because I wasn't working. And um, someone in our chat today in the rebelism community brought up how like, He's scared he doesn't have time to grieve. You know, he's scared he doesn't have the, you know, and like I realized that last summer too. I was, one day I was biking <laughs> back in the other direction and listening to uh, the Red Hot Chili Peppers mid 90s album, One Hot Minute. And like I associate that album with my, both my period of like going into drug addiction, which is really like 97, 98. Like starting 96, you know, the album came out in 95 or 96. Um, and then also the period when I when I was out of it, like 99, fall 99, or no, year of 1999, 98, 99. Um, so I, I had that album as kind of both ends of it, but it's more like that album is more associated with that period. Like their next album is the one I really associated with coming out of it because the guitarist John Frusciani came back and he had come out of it and it was a very... That's Californication. It's a very f- heartfelt album, and they, they're dealing with a lot of the grief, but it also has its hope to it. Um, but One Hot Minute was Anthony Kiedis, the lead singer. He was dealing with a lot of his struggles with addiction. And anyway, um, riding my bike and listening to that, like all this stuff started coming back to me. Like, oh, you know, like you went through, like you used drugs to deal with his grief, and, you know, um, and just this deep historical grief and also then I the thought oh that's right the thought that I had was like why I was like why didn't I ever deal with this and it was like well because you had to work man you had to you were raising kids you, you were busy you were too busy to deal with it you know and that you know that can sound like a like an in Japanese an iwake an excuse it's one of my favorite Japanese words now iwake it sounds like you know iwak I'm an iwake <laughs> Canadian iwaks making them damned excuses again uh <laughs> gotta have a little fun folks when we're doing these gotta gotta have my little uh enfp moments of going on tangents with languages um in words so the grief of my experience and realizing that our collective and then thinking about well collectively that's going on this people not having time and so when i heard the guy in the group today bring that up like I fear not being able to have the time to grieve I was like oh wow like okay you know because I remember sharing that on my social media and getting some pushback from people like you know kind of some of the stuff not, not that they said I was making excuses but there was some lack of openness and last summer I, <laughs> last summer was such a tough time um at least in my experience with social media, and I think a lot of us, I've heard a lot of people talk about this, like, there was just so, like, the heart was just not open a lot of, in a lot of the, um, the narratives were just the, were so strong. Anyway, um, but, okay, so going to this fall, so this fall, I was, you know, October, I'm like, what am I going to do about the election? You know, I've got this thing, I'm, I guess I can send it in, uh, you know, I vote for by mail in Washington and have for a long time from, you know, being in Japan, I have to, and I was like, uh, and, then, and then one day I was like, I had this intuition that, you know, like if Biden wins, like we need to grieve 
And if Biden wins, the space for that will become more open than if Trump wins. And you can debate with me on that. But here's here was my, again, it was an intuition. So, um, but thinking into that and feeling into that, the idea that I had was like Trump is was such a polarizing figure that he's got us in, and, and he himself hasn't dealt with, like he's just such a psychologically immature uh, person who hasn't dealt with any of his shadow projection or, you know, just, I mean, again, you can argue with me on that, but, uh, you know, and, you know, he saw the country in terms of like my people and the people against me and red cities and blue cities and, you know, all this. And so it's hard for us to grieve when we don't feel safe. Like we have to feel safe. We have to have that space to grieve. You know, we have to have that space to be in our hearts because we're, in a vulnerable position when you're opening up. And that gets to the first breakout group I was in today. So the topic today in the rebelism community was about, um, you know, it's the lives, it's the sense making call. They have once every two weeks, I think, um, might be once a week. Anyway, it's on Tuesdays, my Tuesdays. And, uh, the topic was kind of about the, you know, the various narratives that are going on out there and how do we, uh, how do we, you know, make sense of them, and, you know, how can we, um, enter into conversation with others about them, blah, 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 right, uh, I wish I could, I, I'm thinking I should try to say it, because it's probably better, let's see here, um, anyway, I'll try, I'll just keep going while I look, and yet my group, my breakout group, we discussed, um, the community that we were that we were in this rebelism community and uh it became more about this relating to each other and it wasn't about the collective and all the narratives and stuff it was very personal because someone in there had had a personal experience with some another member where they'd felt shut down and they were like you know i came to this community because i you know i don't feel safe in the in the world out there having discussions about these things and this was a safe place for me to come to and now uh, this has happened and i was relating that you know that that's that's really hard when like you feel like your world around you isn't safe but you have this harbor that you've come into and then all this in the harbor is not safe so it's like well what where do i go next you know um yeah, here's what the discussion was today. With so many competing narratives, information warfare, and filter bubbles, it's increasingly hard to make sense. In this session, we will explore what are the topics we each struggle with the most. Okay? Um, and we will dive into these questions together and share the results of each other in order to help us improve our sense-making. All right? Um, so that was the topic, but we really focused on this interpersonal relationship thing, and it was interesting... Um, I was the guy in our group. They, I like this. Like this time they had us nominate someone to take, like take notes or whatever. And then like speak for what, what the group discovered. Like, we go into these breakout rooms and our room was, you know, there were like four people in the room and, uh, one person, the person who I'm talking about didn't want to do it because of this experience they wanted to share and they didn't feel emotionally they could be the person to speak for the group. And another person in the group was new. And so I was like, okay, I'll be the. I'll be the note taker. And um, so I did that. And it was interesting. So there were probably 12 groups, I think. Yeah, I think we had 12 groups. And maybe I would say eight or nine of them were more focused on, you know, these collective issues. Like, you know, how is the... 
pandemic being covered, um, the Great Reset. Uh, I'm trying to think of other topics. Um, yeah, anyway. QAnon. I mean, there, you know, some of these bigger topics of rebelism and, you know, that we're trying to make sense of. And But three or four of the groups were actually went into where we kind of went into, which was this, how do we relate to each other, the interpersonal dynamics. And um, <clears throat> it's interesting because then in the, like I've brought up already, then in the after hours, the discussion was more focused on, like, we really didn't talk about the collective so much. Like it brought, I uh, brought it up a little. I actually found a way to connect it because something one of the group people reflected back was, um, how the authoritarian response to COVID-19 has, you know, maybe it's being manipulated by people in positions of power to increase their power, but how they're disconnected from the real life impacts that these rules or, you know, things like the lockdowns uh, are having on people. And so I connected it to this breaking up of relationships I see you know I think that's why this is all coming about because we're having this experience you know and it's not just in the head it's not just about you know our ideological differences and narrative making differences and so um the the group dynamics I'm trying to I'm trying to find the thread here if I find the where we're going with this folks having a little moment here <laughs> getting embodied and realizing i gotta go take a leak sometime <laughs> trying to find a spot uh there's this bridge here and these people looking down on me might not be so keen well in japan like old men i guess i'm technically old enough but i'm in here pee all the time and like really public places you'll just come up on i'm like dude <laughs> maybe a little more off to the side um yes collective pee making um <laughs> Yeah, so the, but I, I see this, this, okay, I know where I'm going with this. Okay, so we were talking, someone mentioned that, you know, there's going to be a coming psychological crack up or breakdown amongst the collective as people realize we're not going back to the old normal, like, and things are you know there, there's going to be more of this intensifying of this stuff in a lot of ways like you know when 2020 was over a lot of people were like oh 2020 is over now you know it's like thank god we got through that and there you know there is some truth to that of course but you know and all oh, trump's out of office now we can all big breathe a big sigh of relief and of course you know like a lot of us are feeling that and um but the fact is like <laughs> these bigger issues is you know where are we at where the collect the convergence of crises that charles eisenstein has eloquently written about um and that this channel rebel wisdom is really looking into it's still happening and it's still going on like and the here's the hope here's the hope i hope this hasn't been too much of a downer I've tried to throw in a little few funny one-liners here um here's the hope i'm getting is that and it's like a, it's, it's almost drawn from my experiences with, well, I won't, yeah, I mean, I could say with my experience with psychedelics, but it's more my experiences with the process of grief. And when you actually allow yourself to do it, it's not easy, but here's my hope that as the collective is 
hate to say forced into, but as we, you know, have to face our grief, as a situation becomes more intensified and there is more opportunity for grieving, and as we allow ourselves to do it, and the more consciously we can tell each other, like, hey, it's safe to grieve with me, and let's talk, you know, I feel you, you know, um, that is actually the response. It's very human, and that is what I see as the, the response to what a lot of us fear is this kind of anti-human, data-driven, you know, techno-utopian kind of um, Spockian, <laughs> emotionless world that is trying to be built like the response is okay become more human and i think that as this thing is seems to be it's kind of this this agenda has been sped up for whatever reason and maybe it hasn't but it does seem like you know 2020 like um the agenda got sped up and i would say even having biden in office almost speeds it up because now there's this like collective agreement at least in the american you know uh, experience of it that the, you know the the media and the the quote unquote deep state and Biden and big tech you know there is this collective kind of uh, forming around this new vision this you know and it ties into the whole UN agenda 2030 and sustainability and all in all this right and a lot of us are kind of sensing into like well like is that agenda even though like there are some good intentions like is it being manipulated and being used by people in power to keep their positions of power blah 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 right and now i'm getting pretty intellectual with it but as if that agenda is being is so disconnected from human and like causing much human suffering that will bring out the humanity in us you see what i'm saying i hope you see what i'm saying <laughs> if you don't then you gotta listen again because i'll do another episode on this i'm sure <laughs> um but i gotta keep these shorter because i can keep going um but let's see where are we at i think i'm pretty at yeah, 26 minutes um so my hope is that in a way like okay douglas rushkoff futurist thinker douglas rushkoff intellectual <laughs> um you know he he and others but he's mentioned and i've had this same insight that we're kind of the internet is and i think rushkoff kind of got this from leary timothy leary that you know who said the pc is the lsd of the 1980s well the internet is like it is in a way very similar to you know a psychedelic experience in that we're all like everything that comes out in the open when you take psychedelics like all of a sudden all these things from the unconscious become conscious and you know you can deal with that in whatever way you want but that's more on a personal thing but you can do obviously you can have collective things come through but with the internet all of a sudden the collective unconscious has become more conscious and we're aware of it and so um i don't know where that train of thought was going folks put my shoes back on here so how does that you know you can react to the, that blossoming of awareness and a psychedelic experience in different ways. And the two ways, like, it's an ego disillusion. And the one, one way is you, it's fear. And you're like, you're holding on, you're holding on, you're holding on, you're holding on. And like, you can't deal and you can't deal. And it's like, no, 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 no. And that is going to shut you down and cause you a lot more trouble and pain. And uh, I actually think that this might explain why so many people have been 
I mean, this is not the why. It's a why. <laughs> One of the reasons why I think so many people are dying right now. You know, or being, you know, people that are more susceptible to dying from the experience we're in right now. One of the reasons why so many people are, you know, overdosing and, you know, all, all these things, right? Um, now, but there's another way you can react, which is to surrender to it, which is to willingly say, okay, this is hard, but I trust the process, right? And to me, I see, and as I pointed out in this group today, I'm like, well, we might be the 0.01% of the 0.01%, and maybe the rest of the world isn't even interested in, like, working through this. But I, 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 and then I, I told them I was exaggerating for effect. But point is, is that, you know, not everybody is going to embrace the process of doing this because it's hard. It is not easy. But, but, I think a lot of it is kind of like, you, you know, if you're a child or, like, somebody that you love dies as a result of whatever during all this and you see it how it was connected to this experience like you're gonna feel grief you're gonna feel grief and then what do you do with that um and i think as the collective situation becomes more grief inducing this will i believe hard as it will will be it's, it presents an opportunity for us to be more human. And uh, maybe I can close by saying this, like if you're in a position right now of privilege where you're not having people around you die or you're not feeling like personally that grief, well, then maybe it's an opportunity for you to um, be there for others who are and, you know, recognize that this person out there who maybe they're, attacking you on social media like maybe ask them like maybe ignore the conversation the surface conversation the topic you're discussing that's causing them to attack you maybe just ask them how are you doing like what's up how are you feeling like what's going on in your life and see if you can because i i honestly i've had i've done that quite a bit with social media over the years and um that's how i've been able to become friends with people who have wildly different beliefs and ideas about you know the world and what's going on and um and then we can kind of agree to disagree on those things and then ask them, like, how are your kids doing, you know? How's how's that grandma that you always complain about, <laughs> you know? Like, so, um, okay, I think this is good. I think this is a good little episode here. I think we're right around 30, yep, 31. Good, all right. Um, I'm sure I'll have more to say on this topic, and uh, I hope this has been valuable to you. And uh if so, please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way you can. I'll try to remember to put my uh, links in my in the show notes. I've got to get a little bit more of a, like a system with this. I, I have created the system of my intro song. I've got just the same one I just use now. I don't have to record that every week. You know, um, trying to get a little bit more professional and systemic with my podcast here to save myself time. And uh, but yeah, reach out to me. I'm on Twitter. I will do the show notes this time in the show notes, Twitter, Facebook, and I have a Patreon, but I haven't really, there's nothing bonus in there, but if you want to go to the Patreon and throw me a few bones, I would not complain. <laughs> I do have a dog. She likes eating bones. So, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening and uh, yeah, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. All right. Much love.
Antonia was my first love, a foster kid, one of many, who stole and broke my heart with her innocence and purity. I took her to McDonald's and she was so happy to get a happy meal. Yet we were both 21. That's how young she was. I felt guilt, guilt that she didn't have parents like I did, parents who took her to those golden arches, parents who patiently waited as I begged for a drink without the fizz. Guilt that as she loved me for taking her there, because I was thinking of how evil McDonald's was for raising the rainforest in the Amazon basin to raise cattle for burgers. My heart was divided, for I knew that my anger at McDonald's was driven by a deeper sense of grief. Grief for the nature it destroyed and the indigenous communities it upended in the name of corporate empire. I felt guilt because I was feeding it by feeding her, my first true love, and guilt because she was loving it, and so was I, that pure, innocent moment. It was a heartfelt connection, was it not? How can I reconcile those feelings? How can I remember her happiness and her love for me on that sunny Los Angeles day as I saw the child in her play when she got that happy set? How can I do that when I also know of the greed and the destruction of lives that build the corporate empires which feed our children, our families, our relationships with truly magical moments? Almost 30 years later, and still these questions haunt me, Yet I know I can hold space for all of these feelings to coexist, and I need not feel so deeply into the guilt that I forget the purity of that moment.